An Honorable Profession is brought to you by Tech for America, an organization dedicated to providing a platform to solve America's toughest public challenges. For more information, visit t4a.org. That's T, the number four, a.org. Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm your host, Ryan Coonerty, an Honorable Professions and New Deal podcast. We're committed to bringing you some of the most thoughtful and innovative voices in American politics. Check out newdealleaders.org for more information. And please tell a friend about an honorable profession and raise an Apple podcast or wherever you listen. Today, our guest is Mayor Libby Schaff. Libby's an attorney. She's a New Deal leader. She's an advocate for inclusive economic growth and early childhood programs, and she's also a frequent target of the Trump administration and Jeff Sessions in particular. I think you're going to hear how committed and how thoughtful she is and how she leads her city. Thank you, uh, Mayor Libby Schaff, for joining us today. We're really excited to have you. Well, I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to talk to a non-political audience, hopefully, out there. (laughs) Good, good. Well, all you... All you non-politicos, listen closely because uh, Mayor Schaff has a lot to say. So first, let me offer my congratulations. You just won your re-election uh, overwhelmingly. Uh, and why Thank don't you, you let give us a sense as to what you think the next four years have in store for you running the city of Oakland? Well, you know, I, I want you to take this in a really great light, but it's, it's kind of like you just won a marathon and your prize is that you get to run another marathon. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you're a marathon runner, that's all good. And it means that you have been given a chance to finish what you started and also take that mandate, that, that reelection, that momentum, and use it to really do some bold, big things. You know, I mean, I'm born and raised in my city. Uh, I have just been madly in love with Oakland all my life. And so to be at the helm of my hometown at a moment when we're going through some really dramatic changes, and it could either go really well or really badly. And so to have the opportunity to keep doing the work that we've started, to keep going in the same direction, felt really good, really validating. I bet. I bet. And it was an overwhelming victory. Can you give us a sense? You've been really pushing for economic inclusion, you've been pushing early childhood interventions. So over the next four years, in, the, in those areas and any other areas you want to talk about, what are you hoping to accomplish? Well, you know, um, I am a lover of local government. Uh, I always say that we fly at the perfect altitude, that we are high enough that we can change the world, but we're low enough that we actually know the people, the families we're impacting. We know the actual blocks, housing units, neighborhoods that we are having a positive impact on. Um, And yet, I am finding more and more that partnering with other layers of government is what it's going to take to really deliver the transformative changes that I want to see for my community, particularly around issues like early childhood education, like homelessness and the housing shortage here in the Bay Area. And so I am excited about 
California's new governor. Uh, and then, you know, all the positive changes in the state legislature and Congress, um, it, it makes me really hopeful because, um, you know, again, as someone who loves local government, you do sometimes need some help from above, and I'm not just talking about God. <laughs> and I, and see, since there doesn't seem to be any uh, help coming from the federal government, in fact, probably uh, negative actions, that, that local level uh, and the state level, some big opportunities. And one of the things I was thinking about is there's you, there's Gavin Newsom, our, our governor-elect, Kamala Harris, Eric Garcetti, Sam Licardo, who's uh, the mayor of San Jose, London Breed, San Francisco, and Robert Garcia down in Long Beach. And you're all of a certain generation. And what do you think it means that, that this generation is ascending to office? And what sort of approach and values do you think uh, you all are bringing to, to to local government and to state government. Well, thank you for assuming that I'm of the same generation as London. <laughs> I take that as a huge compliment. <laughs> um, Ballpark. You Ballpark. know, <laughs> I mean, I think um, that, you know, my generation, we, we had to wait a while for the baby boomers to give us some room. Um, <laughs> And now we're we're taking it. But, you know, you you listed off, you know, all of my kind of lovely Democratic friends. Um, You know, I do want to say that, again, in local government, we um, are a little less partisan than other layers. And I have been actually pleasantly surprised at some real bipartisan efforts that I've been involved in. Uh, the big 13 mayors of California, which are roughly half Republicans and half Democrats, united around the issue of homelessness and actually got a significant allocation in California's budget. I'm also a founding mayor of Mayors and CEOs for U.S. Housing Investment, which while um, we certainly are not paying any attention to this president, um, Every now and then, Congress doesn't pay any attention to him either. And so the hope of getting more resources for housing, even from Congress, is something that we haven't given up on. And again, we have Republican mayors that are part of this coalition, as well as business leaders that recognize that you cannot have a healthy economy if you cannot house workers. So those are some of the things that um, excite me. And I, I do think, um, you know, I always say that mayors don't really have time for partisan gridlock. We all belong to the party of get shit done. And that's what I love about all those people that you just listed. These are mayors that we live in our communities. We are faced with these issues every day right in our faces. So we've got to get it done. We can't, you know, philosophize or, you know, get into dumb, petty fights with people of different persuasions because we've got to deliver for our communities. I appreciate that. And especially when you've grown up in your community. So you're likely to run into old teachers and classmates. I was lucky enough to be mayor of the town I grew up in down here in Santa Cruz, just a little south of you. And I know there's a special obligation that comes when you're the mayor of your of your hometown. Yeah. And it, of course, it is embarrassing to run into people that claim to have changed your diaper. Um, that can be... <laughs> That's happened more or, than you know, once. Whenever my, whenever my mom is in the audience, she, she does not mind correcting me, even if I am speaking as the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, so, uh, so you mentioned getting shit done. And one of the things that's striking is when you're you know, looking at your press conferences and 
you know, and communicating is you're extremely straightforward and blunt and honest uh, in your assessment of when you think things are working and when you think things aren't working. You know, I think we all grew up in an age of politicians being polished and field testing their ideas, but you seem to take a very different approach. And can you tell me what what's that like? And do you think there's room for more more blunt uh, and maybe a little more profanity uh, in American politics today? <laughs> Um, I don't only think that there's room for it. I think it is essential. I am terrified that Americans are falling out of love with democracy. And I want people to feel like government is our collective best selves, that we are stronger, better, um, more compassionate, more just, um, and, and more prosperous in every sense of the word when we trust our government and we recognize, and we, we believe that it is in acting in the common good. And I think that people, um, for, for very good reasons, uh, have been let down by politicians, uh, have felt like they haven't always been honest or truthful, haven't delivered on their promises. And we have got to fight against that. Because democracy may be imperfect, but my God, it's the best system that we've got. And um, I still believe, I believe that this can and should be a government for the people, by the people. I, I absolutely believe it. And you think that calling shit out, uh, for lack of a better uh, way to phrase <laughs> it, um, generates more trust in government, demonstrates more belief in government? Well, I think people want to know that you're a human being and you have feelings about these things. And, and trust me, I don't always plan uh, when I drop the <laughs> F-bomb. Um, I did it last week on a panel about homelessness. But, you know, I was describing something that, that I found so profoundly upsetting. Uh, as someone who has gone through childbirth myself, this idea of a woman who was living in her car, giving birth to her baby by herself in her car and not having a better home to bring that baby home to. The fact that, that this country can tolerate that upsets me deeply. And I think it's appropriate for leadership to show emotion. I also think it's important, believe me, I've had to do this, to admit publicly when you screwed up, when you made a mistake, because I think people are tired of hearing politicians, one, try and escape accountability or be in denial or revise history. I think it's really important that we are brutally honest with the public. I think they appreciate that. Yeah. And your experience in government is uh, is magnified because Oakland is has become a symbol of both all that is possible uh, in with urban America and then all that is challenging about urban America. Can you describe, you know, the good days and, and the bad days of what it's like to be mayor of a, of a, of a city that's, that's trying, to, trying to address the challenges and then uh, trying to take advantage of opportunities? Sure. Um, the good days are amazing. And there are many like pinch yourself moments as a mayor. 
Um, some are the ones that are kind of obvious. Um, you get to meet stars or people that you truly admire. Um, it helps you that get you have an ride. amazing basketball team. I was about to say, you get to ride <laughs> on a fire-breathing snail, dancing next to MC Hammer at the Warriors Championship Parade three times, three times. <laughs> <laughs> it does not get old. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Um, so you get to, you know, have these just moments of incredible celebration. And, you know, um, again, you, you get to meet these heroes that you've had all your life. Um, and but but the the less obvious good days are when you know an unsheltered resident comes up to me and takes me by the hand and says thank you thank you for caring or thank you you know i just got into a better situation because of this initiative that i know you created um, two months ago, and, and it's made a huge difference in my life. Or, you know, once I was at a, a career fair, and they randomly picked a young man uh, who had gotten a job that day, and I was in the audience just listening to him talk about his experience of getting selected for the job and why it was so important for him because he needed a part-time job to support him because he was in college. And then he pointed at me in the audience, and he said, and I'm in college because Mayor Libby Schaff paid for my scholarship, <laughs> and um, I did. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> recognize the young man. Um, I sent 50 students, uh, all first-generation students, off to college um, as part of my turning 50 and becoming the 50th mayor of Oakland. And But just to, just to totally surprised and thanked publicly for making college a possibility for this incredible young man. Like those are the moments. Um, and they, they often aren't public. They're quiet. They're when someone stops you at the grocery store uh, or you're, you're at a school visit and a child just looks you in the eye and says that somehow you've made some difference in their lives. That, those are the most amazing moments of all. And and I'd like to think mayors probably get them more than the average politician. And then, but there are bad days. As a mayor, you carry the joy of your community, but you also carry the trauma. And when, when there's a homicide in my city, um, when we went through the horrific tragedy of the ghost ship fire, 36 beautiful, incredible lives lost in a moment. And to deal with, with the grieving and the anger in the community and from the family and friends is, is a lot. It's a lot. Just I'll be honest. And yeah, how do you, because there's times when you, you both feel the pain for people in your community. And I think, uh, you know, the other day when you were describing the woman giving birth in her car, your your frustration and the pain that, that you felt uh, or the ghost ship fire. But there's a certain amount of pain that you have to absorb because your community is angry because, you know, you're you're the person who people can point to for a bureaucracy they're frustrated with or rules they're frustrated with. How do you personally absorb 
some of the you've had a lot of uh, tragedy that you've had to deal with. How do you how do you personally absorb that and then wake up the next morning and keep going? Um, you know, I got some really invaluable advice that I have had to use several times and no time more poignantly than when I was invited to speak at a vigil for the ghost ship victims. And I was invited. I, I would not have shown up if I had not been invited. But as I came up to speak, I mean, the whole crowd booed and I felt a sense of actual anger um, that, that was one of the most frightening moments, honestly, that I've had as mayor. But you have to remember that government has done bad things, that authority has done bad things. And no matter who you are as a person, what you carry in your heart, the experiences that you have, um, I've actually worked for years on the issue of artist housing and workspaces long before I ever was a politician. It's, it's an issue that is deeply important to me. And yet no one in that audience knew that about me, nor cared. At that moment, I just represented government and I represented authority. And people feel angry about those concepts. And to recognize that that hatred and resentment is one, justified, and that two, it's not um, personal. That helps you move through it. And, and I acknowledged that this was a moment of deep grief for this community. And one of the expected emotions was going to be anger. And I was able to move through it. But that, um, that really helps to remind me that I am often just as angry about the things that people um, project onto me as, as they are. But my job is to not just be angry. My job is to do something about it. And so you're an attorney and you worked on as a, as a staffer, uh, as a political staffer, but then putting yourself out there to run for office to all the people who may be listening out there and maybe thinking about whether they're, whether they're working in politics, but they haven't run for office or whether they've never been involved in politics, but they've been called to action because, because of frustrations with how things are working for, for people in their community or people in their country. Sort of what, what's the difference between what your life used to be before you became mayor? And then is it worth that price that you have to pay? Because that's a heavy burden for somebody to have to bear. But it's also an incredible privilege. Um, again, and let me start with like being a council member. That was my first office. It's not as public. It's not as under a microscope. And you're just, you're working with the best people. The people that are involved in making their communities better are the best people you could ever be around. And so you have this privilege of having as your job what so many people volunteer on their, you know, precious off hours because it's, it's a privilege to work in, in service of the community, in service of a greater collective good. And most of us come to politics through, you know, issue passion. Um, you know, I'm passionate about my city. I'm passionate about youth. 
I'm passionate about the environment. I'm passionate about violence prevention. I'm passionate about all these things that I get to work on every day. Now, I will say being the mayor is a lot different than being a council member. Council members are really in the weeds, in the community. They're at every community meeting. When you're mayor, you, you get spread out a little thinner. Yeah. And, and I, even as someone who worked in politics as long as I did, I have never ceased being amazed at how much of this job is being the communicator in chief of, um, you know, being on television, of publicly speaking almost every day. Uh, there's hardly ever a day where I don't address a room of 100 people or more, or I'm on TV, or both. Um, and that, that still surprises me uh, how often I have to do that. So that part, you're, you've got to be on, and you've got to be a little bit filtered, although, again, I'm not the best <laughs> at that, as you've already noted with my expletives. Um, but yeah, you're, you're on a lot. Um, so I, I will just say for myself, I'm really lucky to have just a beautiful, loving family. Um, since I grew up here, my, my parents, my sister, uh, and her husband help, you know, I've got young kids, but luckily I've got this whole, you know, family structure around me that, that makes sure everybody's taken care of. And I have a phenomenal partner. Um, very, very lucky in that, that regard. Absolutely. It makes all the difference. Could you talk about, I mean, so there's, being mayor is a very public, as you mentioned, is a very public job. And then being mayor of a major city is a public job. But then you've uh, found yourself as a national figure in the crosshairs of the attorney general when you're standing up for undocumented people in your community. Uh, what's it like to go from sort of the day-to-day to all of a sudden, you know, being involved in a national debate uh, where there's an attempt to villainize you, criminalize you even, and turn you into a caricature when you, what you're trying to do is deal with, help people who are, you know, who are just in your neighborhoods who you care about. Yeah, that was a little surreal. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> that was pretty, I bet. pretty weird. Um, yeah, no, I knew that when I made the decision to um, warn my community or inform them of what I knew and of their rights and responsibilities, and I still contend that how can informing people of the law be illegal, um, I knew that that was going to garner um, backlash, controversy, criticism. I had no idea that it would become national news. And, um, you know, a couple things. I mean, obviously, it is just this surreal moment where, you know, I guess, like, I was, I forget what I was, I was, I was on some web conference or something, and all of a sudden, my phone, like, practically burst into flames. And, <laughs> uh, you know, everyone's like, you've got to see the Attorney General's speech. Like, he just spent, like, six minutes calling you out, you know, the whole, how dare you Speech, right. yes. uh, from <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go and, and watch that. And it was absolutely surreal to see a national figure who Lord knows I had never met, um, dedicate a huge portion of his first speech in California to, um, you know, to you. basically saying I was a criminal and a horrible person. So, you know, with that then comes responsibility, right? What is the appropriate response in this moment? Um, 
And how do I not stoop to their level? I think that is one of the things that Democrats and progressives are kind of struggling with right now yes. in this um, kind of hateful, Twitterized environment. Um, so I tried to be very clear about what my values were, very unapologetic, but also very logical and um, not, you know, name calling or playground um, scrabbling. And um, I, I hope that people saw that. Uh, I also turned down nearly every single request that I got to be on national, uh, at, at, on national media. Um, finally, when the creepy James Schwab thing happened, I did one CNN. Um, actually, I did two CNN interviews. But uh, we turned down dozens of requests to be on the national news because my job is to be the mayor of Oakland. That is a local job. I need to focus on that. And I did not want to get sucked into uh, doing something that wasn't my job. Uh, that was a decision that we made. Um, and, but yeah, it's pretty surreal seeing you know, people at the border with signs that say, lock her up. And they weren't talking about Hillary Clinton anymore. They right. were talking about me. <laughs> Bizarre. So tell me about that decision, because uh, I think the temptation in politics is always to get to get more attention, even if it's even if it's mixed attention or bad attention. But to say I'm not going to even I'm not going to engage because was it because you don't think that you can have that substantive debate at the federal level, or just because it would become so distracting that it would interfere with your your day job? No, I felt like it would interfere with my day job. Um, I do think that local leaders can absolutely have an impact on national issues. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that I did um, just by kind of couching it in the terms of this is my community. Uh, and also it caused people to really dig into that particular raid. You know, was it legitimately uh, trying to make California safer or, as was later found out, where 80% of the people detained in that raid had never been arrested for a serious crime? Or was it retaliation against sanctuary cities? <laughs> I think the answer was pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I do think that, um, and, and I hope, you know, I mean, I remember uh, election day when the result came out that, that Donald Trump was our new president. And there were riots in Oakland. There were windows broken. The high school students walked out of their classes and came to downtown in front of City Hall to protest. And these, these kids were just so full of despair and anger. And again, you know, as, as a, a face of government, uh, Lord knows I do not want to be confused with the, the orange face of government. I'm a different <laughs> face of government. So I, I waited to be invited, but some of the high school students invited me to come speak to them. And, and I didn't want them to be any less angry about this national result, but I wanted them to have some hope that we do have 
independent power and authority at the state level, at the local level. And Lord knows, California has been flexing its muscle. We have won in court. We have pushed the boundaries of our um, you know, jurisdictional authority to push back against what we see as stupid, ineffective, and frankly, immoral and unjust policies that are coming out of this presidency. And I hope that that gives hope to our young people, because I don't want people to despair about government or democracy. Yeah, I was giving a tour to a delegation from China the other day, uh, and explaining to them that you can have local government in conflict with state government, in conflict with national government, you can have cities in conflict with county governments, and that each has their own realm uh, and pursues their own interests. Uh, it, it was it was interesting to see them sort of try to come to that understanding of of how how siloed in some cases uh, government can be. And, and ideally, as you were saying earlier, we can break down some of those silos to actually solve problems. But there are times when when um, Oakland can go and do its own thing, and uh, and then and the state and the feds have to go sort of pound sand. Yeah, well, and, or we're going to work around you. Take climate change. You know, Trump, you know, takes us out of COP21, out of the climate accords. I was there in Paris. I was part of the local leadership circle um, where we recognize that whether our national government agrees or not, the vast majority of emissions are coming out of the world's cities. For the first time in history, a majority of this Earth's populations live in cities. So regardless of what our national governments do, if we as cities band together to address climate change, we can do it with or without national cooperation. And there is a robust network of mayors that are absolutely committed to accelerating our work to fight climate change in spite of what the national government is doing. So, you know, no matter what level you decide to sign up for, um, really, uh, it is incredible to be part of the public sector to try and restore people's hope in government and democracy. And it's, it's an honor and a privilege. It really is, even if I have to throw an F-bomb every now and then. <laughs> well, Thank you. It's an honor and privilege to talk to you, and it's an honor and privilege to have a mayor who cares enough to throw an f bomb uh, when it's when it's appropriate and needed uh, to to call the system into question. But I appreciate. You. I th- I just want to. I'm just so grateful that you took the time to talk to us today. Well, Ryan, it's great to serve with you and to be part of the New Deal leaders. Um, I I am full of hope, and we have a lot more work to do. So thanks for um, doing your podcast. It's fabulous. And I hope that someone out there felt inspired to consider taking a run for office. And if you are a Democratic woman, I particularly encourage you to check out Emerge. Um, Emerge California in California, but Emerge is now in several other states. Um, I and several other 
elected officials who you ran off, um, our graduates of the program can't say enough good things about it. I'm grateful in this season of gratitude uh, for that kind of support that I've gotten from these types of networks like New Deal Leaders, like Rodell, like Emerge. So check it out. Get involved. Um, you can't complain if you're not going to do something about it. All right. Well, honorable profession uh, listeners, you just heard it. Mayor Libby Schaff just called you out uh, and uh, is expecting great things from you. So uh, follow in her footsteps. Thanks, Libby. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders. And keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Row Group produces podcasts. Special thanks to Plantronics, a Santa Cruz company, who provided a great headset to make this interview possible. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we're keeping things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.